Alright, I'm gonna need a wisdom save from everyone to resist the audio sorcery that is Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard. I am, of course, Ryan Howard, and welcome to today's episode where I got to sit down and talk with a very good friend of mine, a member of my my legendary original D&D group that I talk about all the time, Mr. David Holland. We had a great conversation about old times and what's going on in their current games, and even David's plan to uh, start DMing in the future, which is something I've, I've not experienced a game that he's run for us, but I've heard him talk about kind of what he wants from a game, and I would be very excited to, to play in one of his games. He comes from the older school of D&D, as it were. He started off in uh, the, the AD&D days back in the 80s, and that's, that's very much kind of his bread and butter as a player. And I think he wants to bring a little bit more of that back into a 5th edition game. So that would be a ton of fun to play, but for now, uh, we have a great episode with him. First and foremost, though, gotta get a few plugs out of the way. So, uh, an update from last week's episode. Uh, the Mobius Deck of Wonders is fully funded. It is absolutely fully funded. They have almost doubled their goal of $7,000 on Kickstarter. There's 19 days to go. So it is without a doubt in my mind that they will more than double their anticipate their 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 needed funds to actually get the thing made and there's all kinds of stretch goals that can be unlocked now so it is on you guys you lovely people who heard my episode last week with Mystic Dragon Games to get those stretch goals unlocked and to get the full experience that is the Mobius Deck of Wonders, which you can use for any TTRPG system, no matter the setting. So, speaking of fully funded Kickstarters, we actually have two more to talk about today. Uh, the next one I want to shout out is actually from my good friends at the Knights and Nerds podcast. That is right, they have reached their goal. They have reached their goal with 12 days to go on the Kickstarter, and Tim is hurriedly trying to figure out some kind of stretch goals. I do not envy the position he's in. He's got a lot of work to do, but he is happy to do it because that means that they now have better quality recording equipment. It's going to make the episodes a lot easier to release, and I am excited to see what they do with that once they get that new equipment purchased. Tim and I actually had a discussion the other night. We, uh, we were talking about uh, ideas for fantasy novels. I, I've decided that I, I would like to write a novel, or actually a, I've conceptualized a series of fantasy novels and Tim and I were going over that kind of stuff and I, I, I'm really grateful that Tim was willing to give me that time and and critique some of my ideas and help me kind of hammer some things out and uh, he's offered to do so in the future so I will keep you guys posted on the progress of those books um, it's it's going to be slow going I imagine there's going to be several times where I kind of run into some speed bumps as far as uh, as far as writing is concerned but it is my hope to someday either self-publish those books or to have them published so that you guys and anyone else out there can read them and enjoy them and last but certainly not least least, I'm actually going to give you guys a preview of next week's episode, because there is another Kickstarter, also fully funded, that we're going to be talking about next week with Levi Combs, the founder of Planet X Games, and that is An Occurrence at Howling Crater. Guys, this is insane. This is one of the craziest things I've ever heard of for 
an RPG adventure. So what Levi and company at Planet X Games have done here is create a sci-fi fantasy mashup adventure, but also thrown in elements of 70s grindhouse. It's one of the most bizarre things I've ever heard of, and I just, I have to read part of this copy that he sent to me, just to kind of give you guys a preview of this. I don't want to talk too much about it, because that's what Levi and I are going to be spending a lot of time talking about next week, but... For now, just just to give you guys a little bit of taste, little little taste of this. An occurrence in Howling Crater is a heroic fantasy sci-fi mashup adventure module with a little 70s era exploitation horror thrown in for good measure. With all the renegade killer robots, cannibal hillbilly crater mutants, and star spawn terrors from beyond space and time you could ever want. It's 100 plus pages of rip-roaring grindhouse-style adventure that takes a few twists and turns along the way. If that is something you are at all interested in, if you love that that 70s horror aesthetic, the kind of the exploitation movies, you know, stuff like The Hills Have Eyes, but you also love D&D and sci-fi, um, this is for you. And it is already fully funded, it's already doubled its its goal it's got nine days to go on the kickstarter you guys if you want to jump on this you've got pretty much a week and a couple days to do so so if that's if that's something you're interested in uh jump on that kickstarter and then tune in next week if you're not fully sold from me to talk to levi combs about all the stuff that he and planet x games are doing they also have a great Instagram called It Came From Beyond Planet X. Really, that Instagram is just like a collection of screenshots of uh, comic book panels and and stills from movies that they enjoy. It's a great collection of kind of 70s and 80s B-grade sci-fi and horror. And if that's your thing, then you should definitely check out It Came From Beyond Planet X on Instagram. Uh, but we will talk more with Levi next week. That is going to be all of the uh, the Kickstarters to talk about this week. I also just want to shout out uh, Jackie Zanto's app Crawler. If you are looking for a, an RPG group, uh, you should definitely be on Crawler. Find uh, players and groups that are compatible with your play style and with the game you want to play on Crawler. It is an awesome app. Jackie is awesome. If you've not heard that episode, what are you waiting for? Just go download it. It's still in the feed. So, with all my plugs out of the way, let's get into today's Rent from Behind the Screen. So this is kind of a big and important rant. This is one that I've been building up to for a while now. I'm finally going to do my best to cover the topic of basically the central question that brings people together for this game, and that is, do you want to play D&D? It's a deceptively simple question. It extraordinarily deceptively simple. I mean, you you have seen D&D played on Stranger Things or Big Bang Theory, or maybe you've even watched, like, Critical Role or something like that. You think, yeah, it looks fun. I want to play D&D. But do you want to play D&D? Now, we've talked about kind of, like, the social aspects of do you want to be in a group and kind of collaborate to tell a story and, you know, work with others and you know, adhere to kind of the social customs of D&D, you know, showing up on time, showing up when you say you're going to show up, uh, keeping things together, not getting off topic, not looking at your phone while the DM is talking, that kind of stuff. We've covered that extensively. Let's talk about in-game, though, because there's a couple things that you have to accept in-game to play D&D. 
And this question often comes up when a player or a group of players does not necessarily agree with the DM on what they want to do. This will come up a lot with uh, modules. Because sometimes, like I've talked about, players can feel like they're a little bit railroaded by modules. Like there, there's very clearly a story that the module wants you to get to and a lot of times the dm is the one kind of driving the players towards that story and sometimes especially in my own experience you can get a little bit heavy-handed with that whether you're in a module or not in a module there will be times where the dm tries to hook you with an adventure you know maybe you'll be in a tavern and you'll overhear some kind of rumor or an npc will say hey i've got a job for you i, I will pay you this amount to go check out this thing and uh a lot of times this this question comes up when the players are encountering someone who seems to be a little bit more like powerful than them like like they'll be approached by some like level 20 fighter who's this like legend of the realm and he's like hey i i, I have something that i need you to do for me i you know we're having trouble with these orcs in this encampment over here and a lot of times players will kind of take off their player hat and be like why didn't he go deal with it at that point you you pretty much as the DM, you can say, All right, he's got other things to worry about. Well, this seems very important. Why, why doesn't he handle this himself? And it gets down to asking the question, look, do you want to play D&D or not? Because what playing D&D is, is a little bit different from what a lot of people think playing D&D is. A lot of people get the impression that D&D is like sitting around and talking in funny voices and just kind of getting up to shenanigans. And that is certainly a way to play D&D. That's, if that's what your group wants, and that's what the DM kind of has prepared for you, yeah, that works, that's playing D&D, but for, for the most part, for most groups, playing D&D means that your characters have a purpose in the world. There's a reason why they're doing what they're doing, and you have to know that reason, and you have to have goals as a character, and you have to be wanting to pursue those goals, and you have to be you're looking to do things, and hopefully looking to do things that will advance your story and give you more of a place in the world that your DM has for you. So when that question is asked a lot of times, what it means is, do you actually want to do something? Do you want to go on this adventure and see what comes of it? And this kind of plays into an aspect of D&D that a lot of people forget about, or a lot of people, it's there pretty much all the time, but a lot of people kind of overlook it. And that's the, kind of a sense of complacency or a sense of self-preservation that a lot of characters have. A lot of people, when they make characters, myself included, make someone that they are very invested in. This is the character that I want to be. I want to play this character. I think this is cool, and if anything happened to this character, I'd be bummed out. And a lot of what you're offered in D&D, a lot of the adventures that you go on are dangerous. And a lot of people don't think about self-preservation in D&D because, you know, they're like, it's a fake, it's not a real person. I'm not actually risking my life. But when you find yourself in that situation where you are faced with something that, that is dangerous to your character, you have to, at that point, kind of buckle down and go, all right, do I want to play D&D? Do I want to 
take that risk that maybe my character will die. Maybe something will happen that I didn't expect or that maybe I didn't necessarily want. But that's a consequence of playing D&D. That's what the game's all about. It's storytelling. It's cooperative storytelling. But a lot of times, people will ignore things that maybe they, they find a little too risky. You know, there's a lot of risk-averse D&D players. And sometimes people will just flat out ignore quests no matter how dangerous or not dangerous they seem. Just because, I just want to mess around in the bar, get drunk, start fights, that kind of stuff. You know, kill NPCs, that sort of thing. I hate to say that that's playing wrong, but there's a part of me that really feels that that's not really in sync with the spirit of D&D. That feels kind of out of step with what the game was designed for. Now, like I said, if that's the kind of game you want, and everyone else at the table agrees, okay, you can... You can have a game where it's just, uh, this is a fun medieval world and there's nothing really going on, but, you know, you can go find some trouble. Have at it. Go crazy. To me, I, I think that would get a little bit boring if there's not really anything of consequence going on. But, I mean, if, if that's what you want, that's what you want. But for the most part, you know, you, you should be pursuing stuff that will alter your character. You should be pursuing the next challenge that will push your character beyond the limitations that you maybe have set in your mind. You need to go on that quest and to slay the dragon or rescue the noble or find the treasure or avenge your family or do whatever it is that you're doing in D&D. You have to actually go on an adventure. Otherwise, I'll go ahead and say it, you're just sitting around a table talking in a funny voice, occasionally rolling dice. D&D, to me, is adventure. It is questing. It's going through dungeons, fighting monsters, and ultimately discovering who your character is and what their place in this fantasy world is. And if you have apprehension in one of my games about that, about discovering your character, about something changing, maybe something unpleasant happening, you know, maybe your character finds a cursed item and it changes their personality, like what happened to Cromwell, like I told you last week. I didn't want Cromwell to be bloodthirsty and murderous, but that's what happened because I took a risk because Mo pushed me into that risk. He didn't push me very hard. I mean, I saw two fancy swords and I was like, ooh, me want. But still, I took that risk and it made the game all the more fun for it. So if you find yourself tiptoeing around dangerous situations because, oh, I, I, I don't really want anything bad to happen to my character, if your DM doesn't ask you this question, Ask yourself this question. Do you want to play D&D? All right, so that's going to do it for today's Rent from Behind the Screen. Now, let's get to the main event, ladies and gentlemen, the moment you've all been waiting for, my interview with my good friend, the legendary David Holland. I hope you enjoy it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, as promised... I have with me one of my former players, um, one of the one of the only guys that I've known since the beginning of my D and D career who's been playing for a very long time. Ladies and gentlemen, the legendary David Holland. David, welcome to Rolling Bones. Why? Thank you for having me, Ryan. Oh, thank you for coming on the show. Yes, it's a a long time coming. Absolutely. <laughs> so, David, we are going to start. This show, the same way we start every show. How did you get into RPGs and D&D? 
Okay, this is jumping your way back machine. Back before you were born, I used to play with my brother and his friends back before I knew what D&D was. You know, I think they had the original original D&D. Mm-hmm. And I played it off and on with them a long, long time ago. I know you're going to ask me what my first character was, and there's no way I can tell you. <laughs> I mean, because I think I was 10. Mm-hmm. And I played everything way back then. But the second edition is when I actually got into... Uh, you know, actually knowing what I was doing. So that first game, you said probably original D&D or original AD&D? Uh, well, actually, the DM they had, he made sure and corrected me when I said, oh, we're going to play D&D. Oh, no, it's AD&D. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was adamant that... Mm-hmm. We were not playing D&D. I recently, so we've had a couple people on the show recently, and we've gone into uh, just like history of D&D, and there's been a lot of discussion about what exactly the difference between D&D and AD&D was. And I think basically uh, just basic D&D was just the first three levels. You know, I'm not entirely sure. I've looked at some of the old stuff, but I couldn't tell you. I do know back in the original D&D, elves were a thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you could level up as an elf, and that was your class. <laughs> yep. And they were pretty OP. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Just like bards. Bards yep. used to be the thing. If you were a bard, you could do anything you wanted. Mm-hmm. Well, and like, in the AD&D days, to, to become a bard, you had to be a fighter and then dual class into a thief, and then you had to do druid training, and then you could level as a bard. It was a whole, and there was a ton of uh, prereq stats that you had to have. Exactly. It'd have like 16s and three different three different stats. Now, granted, stats were a different thing back then. Because mm-hmm. we didn't have this, what's the uh, the pool thing? Point by? The point by. We didn't have point by. We actually rolled mm-hmm. die 20s. Yep. And like, okay, you've got six 20s. All right, way to mm-hmm. go. You'll often hear veteran players talking about even not just rolling d20s, but rolling 3d6 and doing it in order. Yeah. <laughs> We, our DM was uh was pretty liberal with his uh his dice rolls, mm-hmm. but the encounters matched it, so it didn't really matter. Yeah, and so I know you say you can't remember your first character. What's the first character that you can remember? Um, well, Piper was the first one that I spent a long time with, and so I I remember him pretty well. But the um the old school, I remember I we had characters that were in a nuclear blast somehow. It was like a holy nuclear blast, and we all mutated and got superpowers, but we never played after that. They, that's how our characters retired. <laughs> I, rem- I vaguely remember getting wings and a cool dagger, dagger, dagger kind of quiver that automatically replenished every time you threw a dagger. <laughs> but other than that, uh, yeah, Piper is my, my current memory. That almost sounds like The Sword of Shannara by Terry Brooks. That's a great book. Mm-hmm. I just remember Al-Anon, and I, I think I've read most of the core books on that, but uh, again, my memory is failing. The MTV version sucked. <laughs> Never even watched it. Don't waste your time. It looked like it looked like uh, like pretty teenagers, like all MTV shows. That's so. exactly what it was. They're, they were all perfect people, and part of the Shannara lore was realizing they're in a distant future of our Earth. Mm-hmm. In the in the MTV version, there's the ruins of cities right there. <laughs> I mean, so it's kind of obvious. Mm-hmm. They don't have that that Planet of the Apes moment where they figure it out. Right. It's just straight up. Oh, look, a Ferris wheel. <laughs> Oh, okay. Let's go have coffee at the ruined Starbucks. Right. (laughs) 
But by golly, those elves can race through the woods blindfolded. Mm-hmm. So I'm very interested in the answer to this next question because I have a very vivid idea of the answer, but I want to hear your take on it. How would you describe your play style? My play style? Okay. Your play style is very, very RP, and it's awesome. Mm-hmm. My play style is I like to solve problems, and I love the combat and the numbers part. Mm-hmm. I look at D&D as a game, and I think this is the – here's where <laughs> one of your older podcasts where you <laughs> said I was a murder hobo. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't see myself as a murder hobo. Because I think mm-hmm. a murder hobo goes around and kills everything they see, you right. know, friend, foe, and villager. I like to explore dungeons, and I don't mm-hmm. think that the newest 5e really does justice the way that the old versions did. You know, where you mm-hmm. go tile by tile, oh, you found a trap. You know, oh, you found a hidden door, so you can bypass that whole room and go in through the back way. You know, and I and I love that version of, of D&D, and that's what I've always... Well, that's why I introduced the minis. You know what I mean? I mm-hmm. just, I, I love the whole uh, tactical style of D&D. Yeah, the minis really do kind of bring that element back into the game. And I, I don't know if you've ever played it, but you would really like uh, The Lost Minds of Fandelver because there's a lot of that. There's not just one, but multiple dungeons. Oh, yeah, I'd be a big fan. And as for you being a murder hobo, that's <laughs> probably not the most accurate term. The The, the one that I like, uh, that Matt Colville actually came up with, he, he likes to use the term ass kicker. Fair enough, fair enough. Because I notice in combat, I notice this a lot with Piper, you love it when you roll the dice and it hits, and then you get to roll handfuls of dice. That's the whole essence of the game is rolling mm-hmm. dice in combat. Yep. To me, I mean, yeah. I, I know there's the whole RP thing, and mm-hmm. it's interesting to watch. Yep. I, I've just never been able to put myself into the RP zone, although the one time I tried did not work out so great, <laughs> as I'm sure we'll discuss shortly. Yep. <laughs> we'll talk a little bit about that. But the uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I totally feel you on the combat thing. I as much as I like role playing, I really do kind of get into a zone in combat where I'm like, all right, I want to see big numbers. Oh, yeah. Because then in my head, I get like vivid pictures of Cromwell chopping things heads Just off and walking stuff like through that. A, yeah. a horde of bad guys, slicing them and whirling dervishing around. Yes, that that battle that we did was one of my favorite sessions of D&D. Right. That one is that the one mm-hmm. with uh which one had Thurston when he did the uh the holy word or something? Ah, crap. I think that one might have been when you guys were fighting demons towards the very end of my campaign. Yes. That's that's that was the Thurston moment, like mm-hmm. Cromwell's moment there when everybody just melted around him. Mm. All right. Now, David, this one might be difficult, and I just want to let you know there's no pressure <laughs> to to answer this next question with an answer that you think will make me happy. But what is the most fun game you've ever played in? Okay. Much like uh, the guy uh, just answered uh, this morning <laughs> when I listened mm-hmm. to your other podcast, yep. it's really hard to pick a favorite when you have so many years However, your the Star Wars one shot you did really mm-hmm. stands out. I really love that because you pulled that together perfectly, you know, because we all split up into different groups and it all came down to it all. Yeah, it, it was the mm-hmm. classic Star Wars story and everybody had their own little part to play. I really love that one. Yeah, there are two games where 
I feel it is perfectly okay to split the party and break that traditional D&D rule. One of them is uh, mutants and masterminds, because that's a very classic superhero thing, especially with team books, to have people going off in different directions. And then the other one is any Star Wars game. Exactly. Even yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I really enjoyed I really enjoyed running that Star Wars one shot. And for all the, the craziness that happened and all the stuff that I had to keep track of with that one, I, I really do feel like it it was a really fun game. Which system were you using for that? That was Saga Edition. That was the uh, the Wizards of the Coast Star Wars game, the, the D twenty game. Okay. Yeah, because I've never tried the, the weird one. <laughs> the RP version. Mm-hmm. With the uh, advantage where you fail forwards or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I like the die 20s. And I thought about doing the Fantasy Flight one, but that was... I, I hate the fact that you have to buy three different books. Right. Just to be able to run anything... Like, just to be able to run Jedi and Smugglers in the same game. Correct. And and if you don't like it, you're out freaking yep. 120 bucks. And at level one, you're essentially useless in those games. What Star Wars characters level one? Come on. Right. And so from there... We have to kind of torpedo the the ship of happiness here. And <laughs> what's the least fun game you've ever played in? Okay, um, I tried to play. Okay, the the one with the forty stat, um, the forty strength or whatever. Mm-hmm. That one I was playing online, and I had a horrible connection. And I know we all started as a level twenty one shot, and I had made a fighter, and you guys got in a fight with a dragon and i had a horrible will save and this dragon had me feared the entire game mm-hmm. with an it was an impossible save that i could not beat mm-hmm. so i was literally just stuck doing nothing for that entire game and i mm-hmm. that was just very unfun mm-hmm. was that the uh, the 13th age one shot that we did with mo uh no i think it's the one that uh austin pulled together it was like a one-shot, because where there was a temple, and I think they went in through the roof, and then oh, pissed off a gold dragon or something like that. Oh, yeah, I was not there for that one. Okay, okay, yeah, but it was mm-hmm. it was a great concept, and I know they got all sorts of flack because 40 is not a number. Yep. <laughs> but <laughs> the game itself was cool, but my participation in it was, was horrible, and I had zero fun with it. Yeah, I believe I was at the beach when that happened. So... <laughs> For the next I, question, oh, sorry. Go I, ahead. No, I'm just waiting for the uh, the Deadlands. <laughs> <laughs> that once we get through these introductory <laughs> questions, we'll, we'll dive straight into Deadlands. <laughs> so um, the next question: I know that you're a big Star Wars fan. There've been many Star Wars games, but Star Wars aside, if you could make an RPG system for any fictional universe, or if you could take an old game and give it a modern rule set, what would it be? Hmm. Um. <sighs> Have you ever read the Xanth series, the Piers Anthony books? Uh, no, I haven't. They, it's a, a very literal magic world where a, a firefly is actually a fly that is on fire, you know, and snapdragons are little dragons that snap at you. And everybody is born with, like, one magical talent. I think that would be a really cool game universe. I don't know how you would implement it, but it would, it would definitely be interesting. Is that a, is that a series of books? It is a incredibly long series of books. Gotcha. Back when uh, twenty years ago, the last one I read was like the thirtieth book in the series. <laughs> God, <laughs> I mean, it's like so, the wheel of time. Yes, but but much more lighthearted. <clears throat> and the best part of the series is each book like continues the timeline. Like the first one starts with one guy, and the next one deals with his kid, and the next one deals with that kid's girlfriend's son. You know. Gotcha. It's a very very good series if you ever get around to reading it. 
I think this, mm. A Spell for Chameleon is the first book in this series. And now we get to the final introductory question. Other people from our gaming group have given some great answers. So, David, if you could put anything on a t-shirt, what would it be? <laughs> okay, how about uh, the furry force? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> There's something about it. It would get so many stares, and people would, like, do double takes, and they wouldn't know what they were looking at. It was like, mm-hmm. is that a lion with a codpiece? <laughs> and I'd be, why, yes, yes, it is. <laughs> does that okay. did that cow have six nipples? <laughs> like, yes, yes, she does. Yeah. That'd be a pretty cool t-shirt. Some of you might have seen that series of YouTube videos. Some of you may not have. Highly um, recommend it. Yeah, I recently found out that my not only does my dad listen to this show, but my grandparents, who know nothing about D&D, listen to this show. <laughs> to Mama and Papa, don't look up that video. Don't. <laughs> don't do it. You won't like what you find. Oh, that scarred me for life. But it's incredibly entertaining. It is. It is. Oh, God. Even though I only played in one session that he played in, I think I might have to bring Neil on the podcast just to talk about all the different things he's subjected us to. He's a sadist. It's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Because the Incredible Bulk, I actually had one of my other friends sit down and watch that entire movie with me. Oh, God. (laughs) We watched it from end to end. I don't know how we did it, but... The Incredible Bulk, the FP, <laughs> Teen Boat. <laughs> yeah, Neil has a interesting taste. Neil has subjected us to, to a great many things. All right, so David, we've heard it from Austin's perspective. I've told this story to Shane Hensley himself. I want to hear your take on the Deadlands incident. Okay. First off, I didn't think it was nearly as bad as as you did because we had a lot of fun Mm -hmm. um and i was actually i went in because i actually dressed up i don't know if you remember that i had a cowboy hat and everything i was totally into that and i went (laughs) in i'm a bounty hunter and then what was it mo's character he's like i'm a wanted criminal i'm like why would my bounty hunter group with a wanted criminal without trying to arrest him And I I tried to actually RP what an actual bounty hunter would do. Never mind the story. That was actually what I figured he would try to do. And it kind of derailed the entire campaign. I apologize for that. Oh, no problem. <laughs> but as far as RP-wise, I gave it a shot. <laughs> that was one of the moments where I knew I had really screwed the pooch as a DM. <laughs> And it took me a while to kind of realize that really the Deadlands incident was no one's fault but mine. And the reason I was so salty actually started with me giving the background information of the campaign and no one knowing what I was talking about. I heard you give the description (laughs) in your other podcast, and I still don't know who you're talking about. (laughs) Oh, man. The Old West is a great uh, premise, and it's a great Mm -hmm. setting, but yeah, I'm not up to my uh, Old West history, for certain. Yeah. (laughs) And Shane's reaction to that was brilliant. He's like, okay, I would have loved to go after John Wesley Harden, but for your average person who doesn't know who that is, you probably should have just stuck with zombies. Well, yeah. Or just, you know, just a cowboy and Indian kind of thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't even know what kind of bad guys are in Deadlands, because we never got that far. Deadlands... (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, pretty much the only thing you guys faced down in Deadlands was just, like, other gunfighters. Mm -hmm. But Deadlands has, like, full-on eldritch horror stuff in it. Oh. Well, that would have been interesting. (laughs) Yeah. And part of the problem, I had a whole bunch of, like, psychological horror stuff planned with Lucas's character. Mm -hmm. Because Lucas is playing a huckster, and hucksters are literally... They played a card game with the devil to get their powers. Okay, okay. But he wasn't able to be there that night, so a lot of that stuff kind of fell by the wayside, because no one else really had any uh, ties to it. I think we had enough people there anyway. Yeah. Yeah, that was the other problem. Somehow, I ended up with nine players, and none of us had ever played before. Well, I'm still not kidding. I wanted you to to do us another... I see why you you never got around to doing another uh, one-shot with it. (laughs) <laughs> but I really wanted to do that again because mm-hmm. it was a great like setting. Oh yeah, I'd I'd love to do. I'd probably do the reloaded rules because they're way easier. But I'd love to do another Deadlands uh, one shot, and I'd love to do more Star Wars as well. Right. It's just noted. Um, you guys already know each other. <laughs> Not, yeah. You walk into a bar. <laughs> Yeah, for all of you who are new DMs or new to running one-shots, don't feel the need to have everyone meet for the first time during the one-shot. Start from the supposition that everyone already knows each other. Yes, or you can derail campaigns pretty Mm -hmm. quickly. It will save you time. You'll actually get to the cool stuff that you had planned on if you just say, all right, you all know each other and you're here. Do stuff. Yeah, I really get tired of the introduction campaign. Or the mm-hmm. introduction story in every campaign we start. Like, yep. Yeah, we all know each other as players. I'm. Yeah, I understand we want to know what your characters are. Just give me the three-sentence rundown is all I need. That's one thing that uh, Ashley did really well with her most recent campaign was we all wake up next to each other. We're all near each other, so supposedly we know each other, but we don't. we, we barely know who we are. So there's not that whole, everyone's trying to be cool in the tavern. Exactly. And, and I'm actually, I'm staring at this, I'm having an idea to actually be a DM. I'm looking at this system called Spaceships and Starworms. It just came out on Kickstarter, mm-hmm. and it's it's a 5e compatible system. And I'm having ideas of how to do the let's meet in a much more interesting way. My, uh, the DM in the new campaign that I'm a player in did the uh, the meetup in a really, really cool way. He actually had me meet the party in a combat encounter. Okay, that's a great idea. Because my character, is a, he's a bounty hunter, and people who listen to the podcast are already sick of me talking about Kieran. But I, he had me literally chase criminals into the path of the uh, the already existing party, and that's that was their introduction to me. And, and because... <laughs> Oh, sorry. Is this a good thing that they didn't protect the criminals from you, I guess? Yeah, yeah. Help, help, I'm being oppressed. <laughs> and because I was a, uh, because I'm a uh, Unearthed Arcana revised ranger, I was able to impress with that uh, opening opening battle, because you have advantage on everything when you start. Gotcha. I've never used one of those, so. That's that's what we transitioned Cromwell to pretty much halfway through the campaign when the when the uh, Unearthed Arcana came out. You get advantage on initiative, and then uh, during your first turn, you get advantage on every attack against creatures who haven't gone yet. Oh, okay, yeah, that's pretty murderous in a, a big battle. Mm-hmm. 
And I'm about to multi-class into Rogue with it, so that's going to be... <laughs> you get advantage and a handful of dice. There's, the handful of dice is amazing. It's fireball yep. on every attack. It's fireball with a knife. Yeah, or, or a crossbow bolt. So let's kind of go back to um, the roots of your, your D&D love. So I've met your parents. Mm-hmm. Or, well, I've at least met your dad. Correct. And I know that you grew up in and around the South in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Did the satanic panic ever reach your house? Um, Not in the house, but we were quite aware of it. Um, I think my parents asked, isn't that satanic? And we're like, no. I mean, because they can see what we're doing. But I remember going to church and watching videos on how evil D&D was. And, <laughs> and I watched that, that one movie... I don't remember what it was called about the the guy who killed himself. Oh, mazes and monsters. Yes, I remember watching that and going, "This is nothing like D and D." But we watched that in church in a youth group, <laughs> showing the evils of D and D. Oh God! <laughs> and the the only satanic thing I ever did, I mean, besides the baby sacrifices, was <laughs> <laughs> was staying up late on Saturday nights at my brother's house with his friends and not wanting to go to church the next morning. I mean, that's what used to drive my dad crazy. I mean, when you're, you know, 15 and then, I left you here, we're going to church. I'm sleepy. Well, (laughs) we were up till 3 in the morning. (laughs) I don't want to wake up. Yeah, because on on one hand, I mean, I know what that that kind of thing was like, you know, the South in the 80s. But on the other hand, your dad's a pretty chill guy for the most part. Right. He didn't have any problems. I tried... I think I got him to play once way back when. I mean, D&D was great for mm-hmm. learning history. I, I I learned more about Greek mythology and weaponry and, you know, what a glaive is and a pole arm and, <laughs> you know, the stuff that most people only see in museums. I had a working knowledge of back when I was in, you know, elementary school and high school. And I got in an argument with a teacher one time because he, we had to watch Clash of the Titans, and he said, name three medieval weapons. And I was like, oh, that's easy. I was like, a sword, a dagger, and a mace. And he's like, no. I'm like, yes. And he's like, no, the correct answer is a sword, a dagger, and a shield. I'm like, no, you're wrong. I was like, a shield is not a weapon and mm-hmm. any more than a car is a weapon. I mean, you can bash someone with it. And he's like, well, what's a mace? And I'm like, it's like, what? that's what he said. He said, what's a mace? And I'm like, it's like a club. It could be metal. It could have spikes. It, it's just a big club. And he's like, no. And I was like, what kind of idiot is teaching history? You know, but that's where I was. When I saw the question, I'm like, oh, great. All these years of D&D are finally paying off. I'm going to get an extra credit point. <laughs> and no, because the teacher was a moron. I mean, if he didn't even know what a mace was, God forbid you put down, like, a halberd. Uh, exactly. And then, not, uh, what, two years later, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves came out. And <laughs> I don't know if you remember, did you watch that movie? Yeah, I've seen that movie. Okay. I have well, thoughts about it. When Maid Marian's uh, helper, the larger woman who's on the horse, gets mm-hmm. killed by the uh, the spy, he uses mm-hmm. a mace to do it. <laughs> yep. And I'm like, oh, I guess he didn't hurt her because he didn't hit her with any weapon. <laughs> I mean, he straight up used a mace. And I think we watched that in his class eventually, like a couple years later. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry. That scene must have been historically inaccurate. But no, the thing about that movie, it seems like everyone else is in a much better movie than Kevin Costner is. <laughs> okay, it, do tell, do tell. 
everything else about that movie I feel like is great. Like the costumes are great. There's a ton of amazing actors all around that movie. Alan Rickman is fantastic. Right. But then Kevin Costner, <laughs> who's very clearly in his mid 30s acting like he's in his early 20s and doesn't even try to be British. I mean, well, why would he? It's only England. <laughs> I mean, but there's still lines in that that my uh, my friends and I still use to this day. It was like, what about mm. food? You will be fed. That just <laughs> sticks in, in the guy when he gets bread. He's like, bread! Like, it's the most <laughs> valuable thing he's ever seen in his life. Yep. So, switching gears a little bit here and uh, and jumping forward quite a bit, what was it that brought you to get some game to first play D&D with Mo and I? Ah, that would be Critical Role, much like a lot of people these days. I started watching that, and I was like, man, that just awakened old memories. And I was like, I want to play D&D again. So I got online, and I found Mo, who had a game. I thought he worked there, because uh, it said, <laughs> Mo would get some game. And I kept calling get some game, looking for Mo, and eventually they're like, uh, he doesn't work here. He just comes. I was like, oh. And I went up there, and I showed up, I think it was a Tuesday. Were, were we playing on Tuesdays back then? I think so. Yeah, and I remember I showed up, and you guys weren't there, and I just played some board games with some other people, and then I, uh, I came again the next week, and uh, I met y'all, and the rest is history. Yeah, you came, you entered that game at a very uh, fortunate time, because starting out, it was me and another player, who I, I believe his name was Isaac, and... And he and Mo had a little bit of a disagreement over rules. Actually, I think it might have been over roleplay because we had questioned a kobold and said we were going to set him free. And then the guy said, I'm going to firebolt him anyway. Ooh. And Mo was like, that's that's really not cool. And he's like, oh, did we find the one lawful good kobold? <laughs> now, see, that's a murder hobo. Yes, that is a murder hobo. <laughs> is that the he, same character that had the baby? Yeah, he had... His character had an NPC daughter. Right. And Mo, just for fun, gave the daughter like a, a pet baby wolf spider, which in Mo's setting was actually the fusion of a wolf and a spider. And then immediately he stomped on it and said, no pets. Oh, yeah. And so he left and uh, I show up and Mo's sitting there and Mo goes, all right, I've got bad news and I've got good news. And he goes, the bad news is that Isaac dropped. The good news is we have a new player, Ryan, this is David. And that's, <laughs> we we played like that for... Was it a month? Three weeks? Yeah, yeah, three or four sessions. Yeah, because I remember when Ashley and then the, uh, the Neil and the Craig... <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Still and even for, I'm an assassin. <laughs> yep. Even for a while, Ashley wasn't consistent. Right. She tried to be, and I was kind of worried that she was going to quit. And as we learned from her interview, she had just moved down there, which was shocking. I learned something new from that. But yeah, I mean, you can thank Critical Role. So, like, what was it that got you interested in Critical Role? Was it... Uh like the voice actors who were on it, or was it just, hey, this is a D and D thing, and I I played D and D a lot a long time ago. That's a really good question because I'm not sure what I don't remember if I was browsing or just and came across it, but I watched it and I was like, this is amazing because yeah, because the way because they have the perfect fusion of voice actors and they are heavy into RP and and I was like, I've never played a game like that, but that's the way D and D you picture it in your mind. Yep. And I've had many people ask me, is that what you do? And we're like. No. 
<laughs> that's what we wish we could do. Mm. Yeah, there's so much of D&D now has been shaped by what they've done on that show. I would not hesitate to say that Matt Mercer and the cast of Critical Role have single-handedly made D&D almost cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it, matter of fact, they're one of the few um, advertisements, you know, how they do their little uh, D&D Beyond advertisement at the beginning, that I'll actually sit through and watch, you know, versus fast-forwarding through the advertisements, you know, because they're actually mm-hmm. humorous and, and enjoyable. So, yeah, they, they just have a perfect cast. I am curious what happened with the uh, Orion guy. I actually, I have no idea. Believe it or not, I have not ever watched a single episode of Critical Role. What? Yeah. All you I'm, need I'm sure is that's six thousand hours of free time. <laughs> I mean, I think they they just had episode seventy or sixty nine or seventy for the second season, and mm-hmm. they average three hours a a session. So you got some catching up to do, Ryan. But you would yeah. love it. You would absolutely mm-hmm. love it. And it, it seems like something I would really like. And I I've tried other actual play. Uh, shows and podcasts. Mm-hmm. I really like Knights and Nerds because, well, for one thing, Tim and I are tight, and uh, for another thing, they do like forty-five minute to hour-long episodes. But like, I tried to watch the one that Matt Colville does, and I think it's just that his players are too calm, right? But a lot of times, I just get kind of bored by them. You would really like Critical Role, because they have a nice mix. I think I tried to watch one of the Matt Colville ones, mm-hmm. and because I've watched a lot of his, you know, how to DM things. And when he started his session, I was like, okay, I think I only watched like 20 minutes of it, though. So I never really got into it. But the, the Critical Role cast is very good, and they actually give each other space, and they all have backstories and develop each other's backstories. Because that's something I've noticed. Uh, for a while, I was following the uh, Dungeons & Dragons hashtag on Instagram, but I was noticing that about an eighth of it was stuff in languages I didn't speak. <laughs> and then another, like, six-eighths of it was critical role memes and i was like well this would be funny if i ever watched critical role <laughs> i saw one this morning it was a a tia matt the head five heads of matt mercer <laughs> i was like okay that's creative yeah that that is pretty good but yeah i mean uh god you really should sit there and just watch one episode so continuing questions about the, the games that we've played in i just have to ask you about one of the players at the table who's been a previous guest on the show. Okay, okay, I see where this is going. <laughs> David, what what was your favorite Austin moment? Uh, let's see. Um, I don't know if there's a favorite. I mean, they're all... I think when he pulled out the spoons <laughs> and used animate object and we learned how OP animate object is mm-hmm. with a handful of spoons. Yeah. I mean, Barith was pretty awesome. I wasn't a big fan of Bronze Bronzebeard. <laughs> no one was. Nobody is. And I still I still say I killed him just because it was off screen that he has a clone because he's a high level wizard. I'm like, no, no, no. I killed him and I have a vial of bronze, bronze, bronze beard blood. I can't even say that. <laughs> Bron, bronze beard blood. Yeah. It is, it, yeah, it's hard to say. But I, I totally killed him whenever we, we fought him that time. But they just said, oh, he's a 20th level wizard, so he has a clone. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's not how it works. I killed him. And I was proud of the fact that I killed him. And, and I, should prob- I should probably add this in, too. What was your least favorite Austin moment? Uh, I don't know. I mean, they're all equally um, good and bad. Mm-hmm. See, Austin and my play styles are very different. Austin is a 
very, very creative person, and I know my creative tendencies have dwindled over the years, so I stick to the straight. I try to be, I try to actually see myself actually in the campaign of like, okay, I'm actually a person here. I'm not mm-hmm. a turtle that casts chaos magic. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but he's very creative, and I love his 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 creativity. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know if there's a worst. It's just it's a different play style that I'm used to. Yep. And, I, and I have a hard time like getting into RP when I know that there's zaniness going across on the other side of the table. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, uh, it's hard to be immersive with that. Yep. I mean, all of us have I think all of us have moments where we get we, we both love and hate what everyone is doing. We love and hate when Austin does something crazy or we love and hate when Kyle <laughs> kind of sort of comes up with half a plan. Yes, he never <laughs> thinks them all the way through. Like, yeah. I'm the diplomat. Yes, that's me. I'm the ambassador. Um, can I have your money? <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't think, oh, here's the other ambassador. <laughs> um, I got to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But or, when, when those two are together, they, they have a great synergy, though. Yep. Or I, the paladin, am going to fake betray my god, but I didn't tell <sighs> him beforehand. That that whole fight was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. That, however, the way we killed everybody was pretty awesome. Oh, yes. Never mess with the DPS, especially <laughs> at level 20. Yeah. <laughs> Because I remember Kotarian was at maximum range, but mm-hmm. not too far for Piper. Right. <laughs> it's like, sorry. Nice try with your time stop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that was, oh. And we never went back and uh, fought that Tiamat Abby. No, we we never did. Yeah, and the what if scenario. And, yep. and, and again, going back to the Austin, the wishes, that whole ending of the campaign with a wish. I'm like, isn't that a bit overpowered for a wish spell? You know, but I guess we're, it was a cool ending, but, but my logical brain is going, you have to say this in six seconds. Mm-hmm. You know, like, ugh. it's a way I think of that wish that ended that campaign as a, a way to give us a happy ending. Correct. To a very long campaign that we all got very involved with. Because otherwise, it would have just been, even though we dropped everybody, then Tiamat murders us. Right. Or Piper hides and watches Cromwell get eaten and slinks away. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, other than, yeah, that was a, the best possible solution to that situation. Which Mm -hmm. is sad, because it was a long campaign, and it came down to a PvP free-for-all. Yep. So sad. I know Mm -hmm. you you were so salty. I was. I've... Gosh, I have come around though. On it, rarely though. see you get mad, and you were so <laughs> mad that night. Like, I want to hear. Oh man, I, yes, <laughs> we won't go into the exact wording. <laughs> mm-hmm. But Piper stood by your side. That was my RP. Yep. I was like, Cromwell's the only one that stood up for Piper, so Piper's standing <laughs> up for Cromwell. Mm-hmm. Because and, they, oh, go ahead. Just like from the beginning of the campaign, before anyone else showed up, it was Cromwell and Piper. Exactly. Exactly. We were the only two who even remembered why we even left the ruins of, I just forgot the name of that, that first city that blew up. <laughs> What's it? Yeah. See, I do miss some of those weird things. Like, wasn't there a forest mm-hmm. made out of explosive wood? Yes. Yes, there was an exploding forest. Yeah. Oh, and the druid who killed the critter. Yeah. Daniel. Daniel, yeah. <laughs> you killed one creature, so I'm going to blow up an entire forest. <laughs> yes, chaotic druid. Yep. God, I miss those good old days. 
Absolutely. Those were great. I'm going to ask you about some stuff that happened after I left, after I, I moved to Tennessee. In your opinion, how has Ashley grown as a DM? Do you think she's still doing well? Oh, yeah. When I left, she was doing great. And yes. Like, yes. Has, has she continued and even gotten better? We, well, since we've started the Joe campaign off and on, it's much like how you and Mo did it. She hasn't had as many sessions since you've been gone anyway. But I mean, Ashley's a great DM. I mean, she's mm. put a lot of work into her world. And I do feel sorry for her when she comes home exhausted and she's like, oh, I haven't had a chance to do anything. I haven't planned any of this out. And then we start breaking her world by <laughs> by splitting the party and oh my gosh joe did his <laughs> joe went chaotic evil because he picked up something that made him he drank a drink that made him chaotic evil <sighs> yeah and that that split the party and poor ashley it's like what am i supposed to do <laughs> it's like you're in two separate worlds i can't have two campaigns going at the same time because we were literally in two separate worlds because you know the mirror thing and she did a great job of getting us back together. Yeah. And yeah, Ashley's doing really good. She's bitten off a, a huge, uh, a huge bite. <laughs> and I'm curious to see where it's going. Cause we still don't know who we are. It's cause you guys won't go back to that, uh, that one dungeon, <laughs> the, the dungeon where we got our butts handed to us. Yes. That dungeon. Yep. Yeah. And I, in, <laughs> in the start of it with Jim, I was not too pleased with Jim. Mm-hmm. I, I know she was discussing that. <sighs> Because we all had the hidden backstories and hidden powers and hidden abilities. And there's a kill board where the first person to kill something gets put on this board for everybody to see. And it's a huge line of monsters by now. And she started me with a class that did zero damage. I'm like, you're a healer. Okay. You can fly. I was like, okay, this is cool. Because when I found out I could fly, that was awesome. When I found out I could do zero damage to anything, I was like, oh, yeah, I was a bit salty, as mm-hmm. she said. Yeah, much like Lucas and his barbarian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I love Jim now. And I've actually picked up some more um, healing spells, believe it or not. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, but I had to have some DPS in there. Otherwise, I felt useless in a battle. Yeah, that's... That's one thing that I've always kind of struggled with as a player, and you've probably noticed this about my characters. I am incapable of min-maxing. Right. Because that means at some point in the game, I'm going to be sitting there stacking dice. Right. Which, well, to me, is very fun. Mm-hmm. Although I, I never sit down and do the math. You know, mm-hmm. I, I still don't know half the rules for this new, you know, for 5th edition. I mean, mm-hmm. I didn't bother to, to learn them. I knew all the... It's it's like how Star Wars, you know, how all the extended universe stuff became, you know, legends. Okay, that's how my knowledge of D&D went. Because I knew all the lore back in 2nd edition. Hmm. And, you know, the gods and the races and the weapons and Thaco and all that stuff. Then when you get to 5th edition and we were playing two homebrew campaigns, which totally um, had nothing to do with the old old information. So I've kind of been in the dark as hmm. far as, you know, the world that you and Mo crafted. Yeah, because when you can't name one god, you know, I mean, even in Dragonlance, you had Tachesis and Paladin, you know, and I still don't know any of the the pantheon in that world. (laughs) I mean, and we spent, what, three years there? So, yeah, to me, that was really rough Mm -hmm. because I like having a living, breathing world. Has that been uh, better for you in Storm Storm King's Thunder, where you are actually in Faerun and in the Forgotten Realms? Yes. I mean, Joe actually mentioned a couple cities like, oh, up north, that's where this is. And he's like. You had to look at the map and go, yeah. I'm like, okay, I remember this. 
yeah, that's actually uh, come up a couple times. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, hey, hey, Dritz lives up there, or however you pronounce it. <laughs> that's one of the things that I'm enjoying. The, the game that I'm a player in now is also a Forgotten Realms game. So there's lots of, like stuff that I recognize from books and stuff like that. Yeah, The Forgotten Realms was my my bread and butter, as they say. That's where I've read so many books, hundreds of books in The Forgotten Realms world. Yeah, I know a lot of people like Greyhawk. I don't know anything about Greyhawk. I don't either. I know it exists. Except I think in one of the adventures, part of Greyhawk is a movie studio. (laughs) Okay. Because it's Mordenkainen who lives in Greyhawk, right? Uh, No, Greyhawk is a world. It's like a gotcha. whole, just like the Forgotten uh, Realms. Greyhawk is a whole other universe. Gotcha. It's it's Castle Greyhawk. That's that's yes, where that is a thing. Yes, that's the one that's a movie studio. Okay, fair enough. Nope. And whichever whichever of the wizards that lived in Castle Greyhawk would teleport to the real world and make movies with magic stuff. <laughs> that sounds like something out of the old uh, Dragon magazines. Mm-hmm. Because I remember reading, what is it, Elminster would go and meet Mordenkainen and a couple of the other ones, and and then warp to uh, the modern world, and there was a a, uh, a normal human like recording it or something from the closet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Elminster, the original OP Gandalf. Yep. A level 20 cleric, level 20 wizard, and like 10th level in fighter or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, oh, God. Yeah, he was like the goddesses of magics lover mm-hmm. yeah that's pretty op another question about another member of our our party that has also become a dm and you you mentioned this a little bit before we started recording but how is joe doing joe's doing great joe loves random chaos more than the average person mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean he's introduced so many chaos elements into his campaign already mm-hmm. it, like but it's great he's using some uh 10,000 chart for random chaos magic mm-hmm. and like i say we we flooded water deep which i'm pretty sure isn't supposed to happen <laughs> I, mean, I don't think so yeah he's he just yeah he's had chaos elements in about every session so far mm-hmm. and his last this last session is like one of the best sessions i've been in um in recent memory for certain because mm-hmm. we had the big the town got attacked by 20 guys here we killed them and then phase two, two fire giants, six orcs, and six axe beaks attack. And someone shoots a fireball and kills most of the orcs. And my guy's doing a good job of whomping up on stuff. But the freaking fire giant are ridiculous. One of the chaos things that Joe had introduced was this bath that Lucas's character took that gives him, um, for the next three days, he basically resurrects for free. Hmm. <laughs> Which is a great thing, because when we fought these fire giant, it killed him twice. And <laughs> it re- yeah, and we would have had a three three player death, possibly, on that from one fire giant. Mm-hmm. And there were two of them. <laughs> Yeah, and the only thing that kept me alive was the um, the half-work ability to pop back up with one hit point. Yeah, because apparently the rules that Joe is using is a variant of a fire giant, and he picks you up with a bonus action and rips you in half with his normal action. <laughs> and it's a 6-die-10 attack, and if, if it reduces you to zero, you're dead. There's no Ooh. death saves, you're just dead. Yeah. And that's Ugh. that's what took out Lucas's character, but he couldn't physically die. And that's what killed uh, Austin's turtle. 
and it would have killed me if except for the one hit point thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was just ridiculous. Thanks, Joe. Whenever you listen to this, <laughs> go back to normal monsters like a normal person. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the funny thing about Joe. So Joe. It'll be great to have him on the podcast because Joe and I never really got to know each other all that well. He was always very quiet, and we always assumed that one of these days Joe was just going to go, uh, guys, I have to drop, and he disappeared, and we never see him You're again. Right. Professional Joe, we don't know anything about him. Yes. Yep. Yeah. But but Joe would have these moments. He'd have these moments where zany stuff would happen. And in those moments, he just lit up like a Christmas tree. What was his axe thing that started the big fight? I don't. I just remember he just walked in with a hand axe and threw it at somebody. Mm -hmm. And that I know that was awesome. Yeah, that was with Balasar because Balasar was a he was a battle master fighter, but he had a super low intelligence. (laughs) So Balasar assumed that he was the greatest wizard of all because he knew how to cast the greatest spell of all, hand axe. Yes, (laughs) God, Balasar was great. And of course, Balasar, Balasar took psychedelic mushrooms (laughs) unknowingly and then realized that he was in a D and D game. (laughs) Which is so great. I see people, what are they doing? They're rolling dice. Joe is interesting because he he's almost, I don't know who's the dark antithesis in this situation, but he's like the reverse coin side from Lucas. Yes. Because Lucas hates the dice. <laughs> the dice have done Lucas dirty one too many times. And, and when it comes to rolling dice, Lucas is kind of sort of cursed. Just, and just a bit. Just yeah, definitely, definitely gets mad at what the result will be. I think Lucas has died more than anybody. Yeah. By far. Yeah, we, we have had to resurrect Lucas more than we've had to resurrect any character in any campaign we've played. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter which campaign we're in, he always finds a way to get killed. And it's- But on the other hand, Joe will play the Chaos Sorcerer and will delight in whatever the table gives to him. Mm-hmm. That's it's what he was doing with uh, Austin's character. I don't know how he's going to do it now without a Chaos Sorcerer in the mm-hmm. party. Or you'll tell him, roll me a d20 to find out what kind of mushrooms you took. <laughs> and when he gets the psychedelics, he is more than happy to go on a, a psychedelic <laughs> trip where he figures out that he's a D&D character. Exactly, exactly. Like, yeah, just even in the last camp, the last town we went to, there were... There was a potion vendor that was selling random potions, and and the the people that sold this bath soap that did random effect. I mean, so it's like, yeah, I think the potion I bought had bone and teeth and hair in it, and if you drank it, it would, I think it turned Austin's face into a beak, or not a beak, it turned into a a, uh, a pincher. <laughs> I was like, okay, for like an hour or something like that. It's like That's oh. great. Yeah, I was like, thanks, Joe. <laughs> I needed a healing potion. So, and again, I think I know the answer to this question. As as we're kind of winding down on this interview, which character that you played in a game with me or a game that I was DMing, which which of those characters do you think you had the most fun oh, with? Oh, Piper by far. That's what I thought. Yeah, Piper was just awesome and he was effective. Thurston, mm-hmm. I, I could never get past the, the cleric-y part. I mean, I'd say, I think he went level 10 cleric, level 10 magic user or mage or whatever they're called now. Mm -hmm. um yeah and he was pretty interesting there but it was i don't know i I just for some reason i just don't appreciate clerics i know they're pretty op if you play them right Mm -hmm. but apparently i'm not playing them right 
Because <laughs> I was like, well, I'm the knowledge, which gives you, you know, arcane abilities. But then you say, oh, the sun guy can cast fireballs. I'm like, well, that would have been cool. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but yeah, Piper by far. David, is there anything you want to mention before we end this thing? Uh, no, I'm just, uh, we miss you. We wish you'd come back and visit. Um, <laughs> I'm going to give this DMing thing a shot. We'll see how that goes. If I can actually sit down and put in the hours required for this. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in what all you've been doing though. And I, I wish you the best mm-hmm. in all your endeavors. I will definitely be back to visit at some point. I would very much like to do another session with you guys, or if nothing else, at least play some board games with you guys at some to- at some point. Oh yes, that'd be awesome too. Or you can make us another Star Wars one shot and bring it with you. I would love to. So yeah, that's that's going to do it for today's interview. Uh, David, thank you so much for for coming on the show. Uh, I, I had a great time talking to you. I always have a great time talking with you guys and reliving those those old days. Uh, you're very welcome, and uh, I, I really enjoyed talking to you, too. Gotcha. Well, that is going to do it for today's episode. Uh, next week, we are going to have a, uh, a, a pretty cool guest. Uh, these guys are kind of kind of brand new to uh, the, the D&D world. They've got one adventure out there called uh, Jungle Tomb of the Mummy Bride. And they are releasing a new adventure. Um, it's already on Kickstarter if you want to check it out. And uh, it is called Encounter... Oh, no, An Occurrence at Howling Crater. We're going to be talking to Planet X Games. Uh, Levi Combs, the, the founder of Planet X Games, is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, but until then, remember, as we said on this episode, don't mess with the DPS. <laughs> I'll see you next time. Awesome.